0: Shalom alechem. Welcome to tune in the Yiddish Book Center's weekly podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Heidi Urich, co-president of the Jewish Genealogical Society of Greater Boston. Welcome, Heidi. Hello, hello, Lisa. <laughs> it's great to have you visiting with us today. I have a lot of questions. This is a, a really interesting topic, um, and I'm curious to find out when you began delving into genealogy and what led you there.
1: I began about 17 years ago when I realized that I knew almost nothing about my family and it was very hard for me to learn more from my parents. My father had passed away and my mother was very ill. And my parents are are Holocaust survivors, so I'm a, a child of survivors without much immediate family. So at that point I was feeling rather alone in the world and I decided that I needed to Find those connections that still existed. So I began a search looking for relatives who I knew existed on my mother's side, but who I didn't know personally. And that my first stop was um, relatives who had moved from New York City to Florida. And so I went to Miami for my first genealogical research trip, and had a delightful time with relatives, uh, learning some of the family stories. And. The way it works is one name one person leads you to another and another and another and that's sort of been the my course for the last almost 20 years
0: i I was going to ask you how long you've been doing this because certainly things have changed and made it easier although i use the word easier Um, we can get to that later (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's not all that easy um and I wanted to ask you about the challenges that you've encountered. I know personally my brother and I have begun to try to piece together my family's Jewish family tree, and it's not easy. You know, my name is Newman, so, you know, go from there. You know that it yeah. was changed. So um, how have you dealt with that, and how have these new technologies allowed you better
1: access? Or, Well, Lisa, you're right. Doing Jewish genealogical research is not easy. Uh, there have been some major ruptures, in modern Jewish history, which have ruptured families, and I refer to the huge out-migration out of Russia at the turn of the last, at around 1800, at the turn of the century, where about one quarter of Russian Jews left. And Russian Jews at that time really encompassed a lot of Polish and Lithuanian Jewry, you know, there's a lot of interesting history there mm-hmm. but that was the first big rupture, and then the second, as we all know, was the Holocaust where we lost you know six million of our relatives mm-hmm. in europe uh, and uh you know when when families I know many families today say that they come from Russia and that um everybody came here, you know the parents came and the children came, but we also know that cousins remained behind, so it's it's very likely that people lost relatives and connections you know at different points in jewish history so the difficulty is uh, is working with the records that still exist in europe now things have gotten a lot easier since i began we now have the internet and we don't have to write letters to archives there. either we email them or we find uh, that they've been indexed online and they're available from you know our, our living rooms or um, and also, so much work has been done in the Jewish community to make records accessible uh, that there are now many uh, organizations and websites that are available to help us. And our whole methodology has improved. And also, the uh, a major change was that the barriers to archives that existed under the Soviet during the Soviet days have dropped, and so now indeed we can go back to Eastern Europe and do research in those. Uh, state archives. So, Surprisingly, a lot of records remain. I think when I began, I, I thought that uh, most records have been destroyed uh, during the Holocaust because the synagogues and the Jewish communities have been destroyed. But it turns out that the basic records, the birth, marriage, and death records, were kept in official archives, in public archives, governmental archives, and those pretty much stayed intact uh, or if, they, if there was destruction, it wasn't aimed at the Jewish records. It was more war and natural causes. causes.
0: Is that widely known for no, people? No,
1: it, it really isn't known. Uh, people still assume that uh, those records are gone, that the shtetls are gone. But you know, the shtetls, the, the towns are still there. the Jew, The Jewish populations are no longer there, but the towns are there, and their records are there.
0: And so they're accessible for us
1: they are accessible and people also assume that family names were changed in Ellis Island and that they're irretrievably lost and that's a bit of a myth The, the names were not changed at Ellis Island names were changed afterwards when people sought to become more American uh, and there is a trail of names often found through the US census which was taken every 10 years and it's possible to work roll the years back uh, and trace the family
0: surnames. So going with the name that you would have now until you find that link to what it had been, but not necessarily that change had been made at Ellis Island, which, again, I think is a fairly common assumption. That's
1: right, And and it's just
0: not true. And is there a methodology? I mean, you mentioned that a few minutes ago. How does one even begin this kind of search? Yeah.
1: You'll be surprised to hear that, but the place to begin is right at home, is to interview your living family members. That's the most important thing a beginner can do. Interview and ask all the questions. Try to get the names, the dates, the family stories. Uh, Try to find the remaining photographs. See if you can identify, or your relative can help you identify the people in the photographs and tell the stories. And obviously the place to start is with the oldest relatives. uh, But it's also worth, uh, you know, if you don't have many old relatives, interview their children because perhaps they heard the stories from their parents and they still have the family photographs. And not only the family photographs, it's whatever mementos, books, letters, documents uh, that have been saved that that you really want to take a close look at. So that's the place to to start, is to talk to everybody, collect as much information as you can, and then to bear in on the family names, the surnames, and the place names. And what you want to do is be able to trace back to the immigrant generation, the people who came over on the boat. So those are essential. And the ways to do it, we talked about the census. There's also the immigration records. We can make freedom of information requests for our our relatives, our ancestors, um, natural applications for citizenship and naturalization papers. And there's often information there about their years of entry and where they came from.
0: In doing this, in the past twenty years, um, we've talked about how things have changed and how you set out to find out about your family. Is there one surprising moment that you want to share? Is there something that you really didn't think you would get to where you were going?
1: I've had a lot of surprising moments. I've turned up information I never dreamed that I would have. When I began, I had the names of 12 living or deceased relatives. That's all I knew. I now have a database with over 3,000 names. Wow. And I've discovered relatives who I never knew existed, who are living today in Mexico City, many in Israel, uh, some in Warsaw. And then one of my biggest surprises was uh, after exhaustively looking through, uh, for my mother's family, uh, I wanted to find the names of her siblings and then all her aunts and uncles. I discovered from a lady in Israel that there was one other branch from the prior generation that I hadn't been able to access. But that lady was living in a, in a place in America called Newton. It was <laughs> a Yiddish accent. And I thought well, Newtown. You know, there are a lot of those places in America. And then she gave me the phone number, and it turned out to be Newton Mass, which is in my neighborhood. And I recognized the, I recognized the first digits of the phone number and was able to see immediately that this lady was in my area. And I returned home from Israel two days later and immediately called her. And it turned out she was a second cousin of my mother, who my mother had never known and would have delighted in knowing. Uh, they had very similar personal histories and would have bonded immediately. But meanwhile, I had somebody new, and I had her daughter and her family, and it was a wonderful discovery for me. And I think many people make that, are, are able to make new connections like that and bond with, who used to, you know, bond with total strangers because they share family history. It's been quite wonderful.
0: For, so for those of us who have small families or imagine we have yes. a small family, it may yes. not necessarily be so. And I gather that you are gearing up for what sounds like an amazing conference um, in Boston, August 4th through 9th.
1: Yes. This was also an amazing discovery. This relates to amaz- another amazing discovery, which was was 17 years ago when I was trying to figure out how I was going to find... In more of my family, that I came across a newspaper article about a conference that was going on in Boston, which is where I live, um, and it was the International Seminar on Jewish Genealogy. And I was working downtown, so I decided to head over there at my, lun- at my lunch hour, and it turned out it was being sponsored by a Jewish genealogical society right in Boston that I never knew about. And today it's the Jewish Genealogical Society of Greater Boston, uh, which runs all sorts of incredible educational programs and publishes a journal and is a place where you can go to meet other people who are engaged in similar research and find you know, colleagues to pursue your interests
0: so, this, so would- this
1: year this year the same society we <laughs> are are co-sponsoring the international conference. it's coming back to Boston. Uh, And it is larger than ever. It's over over 1,000 people are expected. We're taking over a downtown hotel. It's going to go on for five and a half days with ten simultaneous tracks of programming to choose from. And it's the place for beginners to get really good orientations and introductory lectures and a place for more experienced researchers because the top experts in the world will be there. They'll be lecturing, and they'll be available just to, to, to chat with and to get ideas from and to brainstorm with. Um, and it's just the, the place uh, to, to find out what's happening, where are the newest, where are the newest archives that have been discovered, uh, what are the best online sites, um, and, and people often make connections and even find family members who they didn't know existed there as well. And we all walk around with badges that have our our surnames and our shtetls on them. <laughs> oh, that's
0: wonderful. <laughs> and if our listeners want to learn more, um, is there a web address?
1: Yes. The web address is www.iajgs2013.org.
0: Wonderful. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for joining us today. This is... Um, certainly an area I think many, many people are eager to explore and being able to unlock some of these archives, you know, just getting us pointed in the right direction is so important and it must be very fulfilling for you to have done this work and to have grown your family from a few to (laughs) 3,000. So, um, again, thank you for joining us and good luck with the conference, which seems like it's shaping up to be quite an event.
1: Thank you, Lisa.
0: Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Tune In, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center. If you're interested in learning about the upcoming genealogical conference in Boston, August 4th through 9th, visit the website iajgs.org. You can also learn more about the Boston Jewish Genealogical Society by visiting jgsgb.org. Registration for the August fourth through ninth conference is still open. You'll find registration information as well as a full schedule by visiting their website. Aaron Lansky will be opening the program with a keynote address. Thanks for listening. Be well, be strong, and tune in again.